the role of the body of Christ and the role of the gifts was so that all of us would be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Ministry isn't something that just a few people in the body of Christ do and everyone else watches, but ministry is something that God has for each of us, ways in which we are to serve him and use the gifts that he has for us. Um, and as he said there in the end of verse 12, it's for the edifying of the body of Christ, for building up the body of Christ. And so if each of us has a role and a responsibility in building up the body of Christ and making it what it's supposed to be, and therefore we all have a calling from God to serve him in this way, it's kind of important to know what it's supposed to end up looking like. It's important to know, okay, if we are supposed to grow, what does grown up look like? I remember years ago, we had a second grade teacher who was struggling with managing the second grade class, and the, those kids can be pretty busy, especially when you have 33, 34 kids in a class, and one day the class was kind of out of control, and, and the teacher, um, Daniel, st- yelled at the class and said, would you act your age? And one of the little second grade girls raised her hand and said, Mr. Daniel, this is how second graders act. (laughs) And it's true. There are certain types of behavior that exhibit maturity or a lack thereof. And just longevity alone doesn't guarantee maturity. You can be alive a long time and be very immature. Some people are, you know, have been Christians for quite a while, and, and uh, where are you going? <laughs> Speaking of maturity. <laughs> you know, there are some who, after they've come to Christ and they've walked with him for a long time, uh, they still just kind of toddle around. Even, the, <laughs> even the, <laughs> This is great. You guys won't forget today. Anybody want to claim ownership? (laughs) She's got her donut. (laughs) You got got a gun, Mike? (laughs) Perfect illustration. And, you know, when somebody's little and they do something like that, you, you look at it and it's cute and it's kind of funny. It's kind of sad if there's an adult that does that and kind of wanders around and <laughs> acts like a kid. You know, you'd go, oh, that's not right. Well, in terms of our spiritual development, it's important for us to know what maturity looks like so that we know if we're making progress in that direction. Because I don't want to be the type of person who, after I've been a Christian for years, I'm still looking like somebody who just fell into this thing. And here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about that and kind of paints a picture for us as to what does maturity look like? What's, What's Christianity supposed to make you look like? What is the body look like when it's built up? And beginning with verse 13, he says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or 
complete, mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he says, here's what it looks like when it's working. And this tells us, and as we go over these next few verses, we not only see what we should see happening in our lives individually, but we also see that which should be happening in our lives corporately as a body, what the church is supposed to develop into. And so, first of all, he says that we would all come to the unity of the faith. And unity is something that the scriptures have a lot to say about in terms of this is what growing up looks like spiritually. Jesus prayed in John 17 that his disciples would be one so that the world would know that he has been sent by God. Um, But it isn't unity at all costs. It's unity in the faith. It's, It's being so drawn together by the truth that we end up binding together. If you grow in your faith, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, if you study God's word and focus on that, one thing that you'll see is it will draw you closer to others. It will cause you to realize how much you need others and how much they need you. Anyone who is an isolationist, anyone who wants to do Christianity by themselves apart from everyone else is demonstrating a real lack of maturity. Paul calls attention to this a lot of times in areas such as like in the church at Corinth where they, they broke up into teams, you know, and they said, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. That's immature kind of behavior. Kind of like little kids who get mad at their friends because they don't like the same sports team that you like or something like that. It's cute when kids do it. It's ridiculous when adults can't get along. When we who are named Christian, when we are children of God and we've all been born again and and we have this wonderful faith to base our lives upon and yet we can't get along with each other because there are areas where we don't agree. Growing up causes us to learn how to get along. Growing up causes us to understand that being able to relate to each other and work with each other and get along with each other is essential. And so the unity of the faith is a part of growing up. Now, he goes on again to say, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here's the the central focus that causes us to be unified. It's knowing Jesus Christ. You will demonstrate whether or not you know Jesus Christ based on what comes out of your life. And a part of that is unity, is getting along with others and connecting with them and working with them. Knowing Christ, that's what, you know, Paul talked about in Philippians about how much he knew before. And he had a great education and he had a real devotion to the things of God, a knowledge of the word of God. As far as the law, he said, I was basically blameless. I was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And then he said, but I counted it all as dung. I flushed it all. It was all garbage compared to one thing I discovered that's more important than all that, compared to knowing Christ. I wanted to get to know Jesus, and getting to know Jesus is what growing in maturity is all about. 
And it's also connected critically with unity. There are a lot of people who try to find unity apart from a knowledge of Christ. There are churches that refer to themselves as unity. And what they mean is, let's not disagree on anything. So then they find out the way to do that is, let's just not believe anything. Let's not talk about anything controversial. Let's just all get together and talk about peace and love and granola. And then, you know, we'll all be unified. And it still doesn't work. There's still division. There's still a lack of maturity. Real faith in the living Lord in Jesus Christ. And when you really know him, knowing him affects your life. It affects how you are. And that's why for us, our task is to get to know him. How do you get to know Jesus personally? Well, first of all, you study his word. It's why we give such a prominent role to studying the Word of God. Now you go, yeah, but wait, it's not all about Jesus. I mean, shouldn't we just study the red letters, you know, the places where Jesus actually spoke, or just study the Gospels? There are some people today who believe that, that really that's all we should do as Christians. Let's just read the Gospels and see what Jesus taught and go by what he taught. But what did Jesus teach? He was teaching from the Old Testament. In fact, remember after his resurrection when the two disciples were heading to Emmaus and he talked to them and he, it says he opened the scriptures. That's not the New Testament. He opened the Old Testament to them and he showed how the whole thing was about him. And then after he vanished when they recognized him, they said, man, how our hearts were burning within us when he spoke to us from the scriptures. And, and so... This whole book is about Jesus. You get to know Jesus by studying all of it, by going through the Bible, by reading it and growing in your understanding of it. And anything less than that is not going to bring you closer to Jesus. You don't look at a picture of Jesus and know him better. You read this book, which is a picture of Jesus. And, and so knowing him has to become, this is the deal. And why, if you read on, it says, the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that completes the picture. The idea is we are supposed to study him so that we can be like him. Our faith in him is what draws us together. Our personal knowledge of him, our relationship with him, as we devotionally spend time with him, as we study his word, as we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal more in us of him, we start to look like him. And when we start to look like him, it's working. Maturity is happening. Growth is taking place. And so basically what it means, and, I, and to be a Christian means you know, and the word Christian just means a literal Christ, somebody who's like him. And so to take that upon ourselves is to, is to say, what I want to do with my life is I want to become more like Jesus. And when that is happening, all kinds of other good things happen. Because when each of us individually becomes more like Jesus and we know him more, then we are naturally drawn to each other. And then the body can start to do what it's doing and people will look at the body of Christ, at the church, and go, that looks like Jesus. That's how it's supposed to work. 
That's why we need to mature because that causes all of us together collectively to encourage each other. If I know that I'm coming to get together with God's people and I know I'm going to feel Jesus, I know I'm going to see the spirit of Jesus and, and hear his word and see his love and know his grace from that connection, of course I'm going to be drawn. If I see something otherwise, I'm not going to be. Frankly, a lot of times the church today doesn't look a lot like Jesus. It looks like something else. And so people are driven away from it. You know, and you don't find out whether the church looks the way it is if religious people are drawn to it. The way you find out is if people who don't know, people who are lost, people who are dying, people who are messed up are drawn to it. That was the thing that was so amazing about Jesus. Here's a guy who's a religious teacher, and yet people go, I never heard anything like this before because all of the people whose lives are failing are drawn to him. They want to hear what he has to say. So when we look at ourselves and go, those kind of people aren't drawn to us, something's wrong. Something isn't happening the way it's supposed to happen. If we don't look like Jesus. Now, what does Jesus look like? Again, Jesus was someone who, man, when he spoke, people knew he had something to say. But he oozed grace and mercy and love, wisdom and power and healing and all of that came forth from him he wants to make us more like him ultimately he's the prototype that he is developing us into and that's what maturity looks like that's what we're heading for now you look at yourself i look at myself and go oh man i got a long ways to go when i see jesus and then i look in the mirror i go i don't see much resemblance and when i look at the church today and look at what it could be and what he wants it to be and the kind of spirit that ought to be there. I, I look and go, oh boy, we got some work to do. But that's okay because we also have time. You're not dead yet. God isn't finished with you yet. But here's what he wants to be doing in each of our lives and in all of our lives together is moving us in the direction of Jesus to where we understand more who he was, who he is, what he wants to do. People start to see him in us. We get together. We encourage each other. That's what it's about. That's what being a Christian is about. Now, as we read on, he contrasts that kind of maturity with a lack of maturity. And he says that we should no longer, verse 14, be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Not like a kid who's just wandering around and not knowing where they're going. Not like a kid who's so highly influenced one way or the other. Another way of saying this, and this is important, is maturity means you stop being so flaky. You have a consistency. You're not just going with the wind. You've learned to deal with your emotions. Now, you look at a little baby, and their emotions are amazing to watch because you see a little kid, and you look at them, and you'll see joy like you've never seen in anyone, just ecstatic, giggling, and squealing with delight in ways that you and I would never do, and five seconds later, crying uncontrollably like the world is about to end. 
you know, and I am completely devastated. And sometimes the kids even forget which one they're doing, and they'll be laughing and crying at the same time. And, and they can be completely falling apart, and then you dangle some keys in front of them, and they're just thrilled. Everything's fine. Now, when you grow up, you got to put a lid on some of that. Balance out those highs and lows, you know. You know, you know the, the, the ecstasy is maybe a little, tone it down, and okay, you're feeling really bad, but don't just start crying all the time. People don't want to hear it. So maturity leads us to go, yeah, you know, life has a lot of ups and downs, but I'm figuring out how to deal with that because if I'm going to be connected to other people, I can't cry every time I feel like crying, and I can't laugh every time I feel like laughing. You know, I, there are sometimes I'll be in a place where things are really serious and something funny happens and you feel like laughing, but you know, there are certain circumstances, it's just better off if you don't laugh. I've, I've learned that. I mean, there are times when I'm counseling someone and they say something very serious, but it just sounds so funny to me. But I try to, you know, put a, <laughs> put a lid on it because if you're going to deal with people, come on, you can't just have, wear your heart on your sleeve all the time. But not only that, and he's talking here partly about doctrine as well and teaching, you don't want to be following after whatever the latest fad is. And in particular, as he presents it here, every time some person comes up with some new whiz-bang idea, you don't chase after it and latch on to that person's thing. See, the one thing that people in this world understand is if you want to really gather a crowd and, and get a response, you need to come up with something that's new and different, new and improved. I mean, that's why you look at Christian books there are hundreds of Christian books that are published, new ones every month. And there are old books that you haven't read that are way better than those new books. Nobody, I, I read lots and lots of books, but I haven't read a book that's been written in the last 10 years that was really, could, could hold a candle to some of the several hundred-year-old books that I've read. But still, got to make a living so people keep cranking out these books, taking the same old stuff that everybody else said, put a little different twist on it, a little different terminology, and then everybody who, like a little baby following the dangling keys, goes running after it. Oh, yeah, that's the answer. That's going to fix everything. That's what's going to change my life. And just the winds of doctrine. There are people who will take a part of doctrine that's good and then just make a big emphasis on it because here's a way that I can distinguish myself. Here's a way that I can make myself different from everyone else. Why? Because, well, we all know it's a competition, and we need to be different than other branches of this business, so we got to find out what can make our church unique, that maybe other people want to come to. Oh, yeah, that's the church that does this, or I saw that sign, or that clever logo, or that web page, or whatever, that causes you to go, you know, dangling the keys, and all the immature people go following it, and it works. You can get a bunch of people to go anywhere that takes that kind of immature approach, but that doesn't 
cause people to grow. That doesn't ultimately make us more like Jesus. It just attracts a lot of attention. It just makes a lot of noise. And, and Paul is saying maturity gets past that stuff. Now, there are some doctrines that are, that are good, solid biblical doctrines, and yet if you overemphasize them, you know, it becomes a real divisive and immature thing. For instance, there are people who really have fallen in love with the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And generally, these people are called Calvinists. They're following after um, a French theologian, Jean Calvin, and from back in the Reformation. And John Calvin was a great man who, who called attention to some important teachings in the Scripture. But to go and say, wow, look at this, predestination, what a great thing. And now there are people who take Calvin's teachings way beyond where Calvin did, or anything that Calvin said is what I believe. Now I am a Calvinist. You know, John Calvin was like everyone else. He saw some things that were good, and, and he was wrong about some other things. And yet, if you decide that's the kind of Christian I'm going to be, a Calvin type of Christian, you're going to be unbalanced. What's going to happen ultimately is you're going to be divided because we're not like those Arminians. We're not like those people who, who emphasize man's choice and free will and the fact that it's open to everyone. And so by emphasizing that, you divide the body of Christ. And it's really an immature thing. Now, I have, for many, many years, I, I've been, you know, engaged in conversations with people about the doctrines of the Reformation or the doctrines of Calvinism. And there's some real powerful truth that's in there. But at the same time, it can be completely fruitless and divisive. And, and generally what happens is it's young guys who get all hyped up on Calvinism because they've never heard about it before, and then they go nuts with it, and then they divide themselves from everyone else. There are plenty of other teachings that can be that way. Somebody who just gets all excited about spiritual gifts, for instance, and then that's all they're about is, I'm just about spiritual gifts, and I'm just about practicing, I'm just about, oh, I had this, you know, God allowed me to pray in tongues, and now i got to make everybody do it. And it's like, that's natural for someone who's immature, but to emphasize anything, even no matter how good it is, at the expense of being like Jesus is, is a mistake. And it's a sign of immaturity. And it's something that we shouldn't be caught up in all these kinds of things. Don't be latching yourself onto a person or a particular doctrine, especially areas of theology where good people disagree. Um, eschatology, the study of prophecy, is one of these things. And most of us go through a phase of our life at some point where it's all about the prophecy. It's all about when's the rapture going to come and wonder who the Antichrist is going to be and how do you decode 666 and I'm pretty sure the UN and the Catholics and everybody else. Are, and, you, and it's all fun stuff, you know. But what does it do ultimately? So often it divides people. Whenever, be aware that whenever there's a theology that people are really divisive over and you can't read the Bible and come up with one of them. You have to listen to what teachers say in order to then decipher it all. 
might be right, might be wrong. But where good people differ, it at least isn't important enough that God didn't just spell it out for us. He dropped all these clues. It's a great exercise for us to study and to expand our understanding and to grow. And, and it's okay to have your belief and your conclusion, but don't forget that it's all about Jesus in the final analysis. And if we end up acting very un-Jesus-like, in order to hang on to our theology that we got from people, that's a problem. It's not a problem if you're young. And if you're here and you know, you're fairly new in the Lord and, and now you're already offended by what I've said, you'll get over it. It's okay. You know, God's going to deal with it. But come on, if you've been a Christian quite a while, quit going, following these little rabbit trails that cause you to be divided. There are a lot of them. Political involvement is one of them. Hey, okay, be a good citizen. Vote how God shows you to vote. But don't be one of these people who's just all, polit all about the politics. That's not Jesus. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not all about economics. It's not all about politics. It's not all about art. It's not all about any of these wonderful things. It's not all about saving the earth. It's not all about feeding the poor. It's not all about healing the sick. It's not none of those things. All of those things play a part, but it's all about Jesus. And whenever we get off on a sidetrack, then what happens is now we've come into something that can divide the body. Unity is sacrificed. People can't see Jesus anymore. And ultimately, as he says here in the next verse, in verse 15, his description of it by avoiding all this other stuff, he says, but speaking the truth in love, grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Speaking the truth in love, that is such an important phrase, one of the most important verses probably because I think that's a description of what we're supposed to do as Christians. That's a good description of ministry, speaking the truth in love. What is a better description of what Jesus did when he was here? People were amazed at his access to the truth that he had such wisdom and that what he said made so much sense. And when he opened the Bible and, and taught it, people were like, wow, that's amazing. And yet, what threw them off and what they were surprised by is other religious teachers taught their stuff in a way that made you feel like dirt, in a way that made you feel like you'll never be good enough Here's me, here's who I am. The Pharisees drew a circle around themselves and said, we are separate from you. Jesus somehow was able to teach the truth in a way that was so loving and so gracious that you never felt bad after he was finished. You never, I mean, and he was able to say things that maybe you couldn't hear from other people. The woman who was caught in adultery and brought to Jesus because they wanted to stone her he set her free by getting rid of all her accusers. And then he just very gently said, I'm not convicting you. I'm not condemning you. But why don't you quit sinning? Go and sin no more. How could you not take that from somebody who had shown you such grace and such love? Someone who had, had treated you with respect when no one else respected you. A powerful thing, the love of God, 
a great introduction to being able to speak the truth. You can hear the truth from someone who loves you in a way that you will never hear the truth from someone who thinks they're better than you are or who looks down on you. And really, our ministry for each other is all about speaking the truth in love. And when we grow up enough to see that, and when we start to look more like Jesus, and we love people with his love and treat people the way he treated them, they'll listen to what we have to say. We need for somebody to tell us the truth. The reason why we need each other is because most of us, our greatest blind spot is ourself. Now, I can see what's wrong with everyone else, but I can't usually see what's wrong with myself. I need someone else to point that out. The problem is, all the people that are pointing out what's wrong with me, I don't think they really care about me. I think they're rejoicing in telling me what's wrong with me. And so I can't hear it from them. They may even mean well. It's just until they convince me that they are with me and that they have my best interest in mind, then my defenses go up when they start to tell me what's wrong. Jesus comes to us with such unconditional love. How It, it just melts your defense mechanisms because he comes to us and he goes, first of all, let me get this straight. Let me make it really clear I love you so much, and I've died for you. And I paid for all of your sin, and so if you don't change a thing, I'm going to still love you just as much. My grace is overwhelming on your behalf. I'm on your side. I only, what's best, I only want what's best for you, and I have proven it on the cross of Jesus Christ. You got that? Uh, yeah, that's great. A couple things I want to point out. Okay, this won't hurt. This isn't going to be painful. It's going to be liberating. It's going to set me free when I understand that. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth without love doesn't do a bit of good. It creates more problems. It alienates you from people. You really don't want to just go speak the truth and then go, well, it's true. You'll find yourself with no friends if you go around and to everyone you know, you go, you know, you are kind of dumb. You can just tell. You're just not very smart, not very educated. <laughs> Language is really twisted. You use the wrong words at the wrong time. You, you just don't have much talent. I don't see much potential in you at all. You, you're fat. You, you're ugly. <laughs> you, you're not very funny. You, nobody likes you. you. And you go, what? I'm just telling you the truth. Okay, maybe, but pretty soon you're not going to have anybody to tell it to, because nobody wants to hear the truth that way. On the other hand, if you're loving without the truth, you don't, you don't help either. You see somebody who's, who's you know, uh, doing something that's embarrassing, and you don't let them know, hey, you've got some gravy running down your chin. Um, you might want to wipe that off. You're like, no, no, no. I, that's not. They might be embarrassed at that. So the loving thing to do is just to let them leave the gravy on their face. Well, that's okay if there's just two of you, but they're going to feel even worse. I mean, like this service, I'm, we were up in Yosemite this week and did a lot of hiking, and I'm really sore. And I was up late last night studying. So 
I mean, I'm back there, fourth worship song, I'm about ready to go out, next thing I know, I'm asleep. Well, Eddie <laughs> comes back there, and he wakes me up, and I'm like, oh yeah, third service, that's right. Now, this is kind of embarrassing, I'll tell you the truth, it never happened before, it'll never happen again, but what if the band just stayed out here? I'm just like, I wonder how long you'd stick around. I mean, what, what would happen? So, yeah, I could go, that's stinking Eddie. Why did he do, or, or I can go, man, I'm, I'm glad. I, somebody needed to do it. I'm not sure if, I might not have woke up till tonight, you know. And everybody could have just slipped out, and I'm back there in the green room. But, you know, we need people who will speak the truth in love. We don't need people who will lovingly let us keep doing what's stupid. At the same time, we don't need people who tell us about it in a way that damages us. And isn't that the genius of Jesus in a lot of ways, is that he can tell us what's killing us, but he does it in such a loving way that we're glad he told us, that we don't just you know, feel threatened by him and that's what he wants from us. And the more we know him and become like him, the more we will find that we will be able to share things with people in a way that they'll receive because they know that we love them and they want to hear the truth because they know that, that we have enough wisdom to have a good opinion about what the truth is and that we have so much love that that's what's motivating us. And so speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. That's what we're shooting for. That's what we're looking for. And then he, in verse 16, kind of sums up the whole thing again and says, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, for the edifying or building up of itself in love. That's where we're heading. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants for each of us individually, and that's what he wants for all of us collectively. Ultimately, that's the test of maturity as to whether we are making progress. Now, again, as long as we're alive, we're still going to have room for growth. But may God help us to understand that our priority is knowing him and studying him and becoming more like him so that as we speak the truth in love, as we find our gifts and as we function in the areas where God has gifted us, we've all seen the damage that can be done by people who are doing something and that's not their gift. But ultimately, for all of us to benefit... We all need to be taking seriously the responsibility of, first of all, growing up, and secondly, contributing in that process, because you grow as you contribute. The, the whole functioning of the body, the body is such a great metaphor for all of this. You know, there are some people who are just really uncoordinated. There are some people, uh, whether or not you can play a video game, most video games, is really tied in with your hand-eye coordination. Can you get your hand to move with your eye and even to anticipate and make a move? For someone who does well in sports, right now we're in the NBA playoffs. 
You look at some of these players, it's amazing what they can do with their body because the coordination of every muscle and fiber and texture of their being is all working together to do things that seem physically impossible to do. The body of Christ, God has designed us to be coordinated, to work together, to be connected to each other, and none of us is effective on our own. We are all only effective when we get together. And when we get together and we're all using our gifts, ultimately we're all built up. We're all developed. We can all grow together and help each other to grow. But we have to be willing to mature in order for that to happen. It's a beautiful thing when it works. Every once in a while you see, you have a conversation that just goes so well because you're able to speak the truth in love and everyone understands. You have a ministry that just really clicks and it really happens and it, it goes great because everybody's just doing their part and, and, and you just see Christ's love just exudes from it. And then at other times you have things you do where it's just button heads and disagreeing and, and pride is getting involved and all and, and you just go, this isn't the way it's supposed to work. This isn't the way it's designed. Here Paul lays it out for us. This is the design. This is the plan. This is the prototype. Look at Jesus. Look at you. Look at Jesus. Look at the church. And you'll see, well, where he needs to work. You'll see where we need to hold ourselves up in prayer and each other up in prayer to make progress on that path whereby ultimately what people see is Jesus. When they do, we all benefit, we all grow, we're all blessed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for including each of us in this incredible plan. Your plan for the building up of your church, the body of Christ. Thank you for including us in it. Help us to grow. Help us to grow up. Help us to get over our little petty differences. Help us to get over that immature tendency to go chase after baubles and beads and toys. Help us to just settle in to being a part of your body, loving your people, being honest with each other, not pretending to be something that we aren't. But Lord, accepting who we are and rejoicing in who we are and including each other and loving and affirming each other as, as you did for us, as you always do for us. Lord, we're embarrassed sometimes by how far yet we have to go. But we are excited and rejoice because we know that you are at work and he that has begun a good work in us is, is going to complete it. So we thank you for the plan. And Lord, it's nice, even when we see how great you are and we see how, how far we fall from that standard, we see what you are going to do. And we, and we thank you and we rejoice. Lord, please help us grow up. We need it. When we look at the signs of what it is to be grown, we realize we're not there. So please help. By your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.